I was um, recently based up at Durham University for the last few years, but I've just since left there. Um, but also I've been doing this open educational resources project for corpus-based language resources in English, but they could be in other languages too, um, based here at the Open University with SCORE. And that's how I know Anna, who's asked me along today. Okay, so I take it that because you're in this building, you do have a connection to language teaching? Necessarily. Not necessarily, but most of you are nodding your heads, so that's a good sign. Um, have you ever heard of academic word lists at all? Okay. Do you know a famous one? One that you could refer to? The um, Coxhead. The Coxhead, right. So um, Avril Coxhead as her master's dissertation work in New Zealand. Um, she developed what's known as the academic word list. Now, I'm going to talk about the academic word list today, but I'm also going to talk about academic vocabulary lists, not just one singular list. Um, and actually, at the back of this slide, the um, picture is from a new academic vocabulary list from um, Mark Davies and Lee Gardner at um, Brigham Young University in the USA. And there's quite a lot of controversy now about the academic word list that Cox had released um, uh, almost 10 years ago because she used a corpus that was not that representative of all academic literature. Um, but the publishers, the whole ELT profession, the EAP included, that stands for English for Academic Purposes, which is sort of where I've veered off to more recently. They're still basing a lot of their materials development on this academic word list. It's, it's okay, it's not terrible, but um, this is more advanced research coming from Brigham Young University. Um, but the publishers and the language teaching professionals are a bit slow to pick this up. So this is the type of thing, type of problem that I'm dealing with in my project. Um, so I'll just provide you with a, a bit of an overview. I'm not sure how clear that is. Um, so my project with SCORE at the OU was focusing on EAP. Because the funding was from higher education, I had to give it that higher education focus. But I do have a general ELT background as well. So, um, and hopefully, as I progress forward with this project, I'll be able to bridge that gap somewhat uh, with corpus resources between EAP, which is more academic focused, and more general language teaching world, and not necessarily just for English either. Um, so, I mean, I've entitled today's talk Academic Literacies. Um, so really today I'm sort of focusing on problems within English language teaching publishing because, um, so you're teaching EAP for business, well yes, specifically I for business. Well, I just worked for AEP, okay, okay, great. Has a That's right. I mean, there are many corporate out there. Yeah. Um, the thing with publishers is that they want to hit a market, a sizable market, yes. don't they? <laughs> and and if, if you are... Um, if you're teaching EAP, it quite often becomes English for specific academic purposes. So I know you mentioned that you're teaching in the business school. Um, so quite often we have to develop our own materials um, in institutions, and I know that you do that here at the Open University. But we have students coming to us that are going on to a variety of different programs. So you know, back at Durham we had students going on to the business school, law, 
um, you name it, religion, whatever the case may be. And because the publishers have focused on this more general EAP, um, the types of textbooks out there are predominantly for essayist writing. Okay, and that would be more for the humanities and possibly for the social sciences, but it really doesn't help you that much if you're trying to assist a student who is maybe going into the hard sciences, um, having to incorporate empirical data, um, having to write up their own studies. So there are some general books out there, and this is another problem I would like to highlight with the publishing world of ELT. We have a lot of things on the marketplace that say they are for academic writing. And this is so loose, you know. And when you look at these textbooks, you'll actually find that a lot of them are preparing students for the TOEFL test, uh, test of English as foreign language, or the IELTS test, the International English Language Testing System. And that, at most, is going to help somebody to write five paragraphs to take that test. Okay, so it's not going to prepare a student that's going on to, say, a postgraduate program where they have to write a dissertation do original research and so on. Okay, so um, I will look at these different vocabulary lists and then I'll move on to some open corpus projects and, and tell you a little bit more about my project as to why it might be a good idea to get teachers as well as students going back to corpora as well as corpus projects as opposed to just being dependent on textbooks that are not really meeting their needs. Okay? All right. So these are the four projects I looked at during my school project. Um, FLAX, which stands for the Flexible Language Acquisition Project, Word and Phrase, and those are the two that I'll show you today. And then there are another couple, Lex Tutor and Anne Conk. Have you heard of any of them? No. And that, that's very typical. Um, so there are lots of great resources out there, but because we don't have training in the use of them, um, teachers don't generally know about them. And because teachers don't know about them, their students don't know about them. So that's another issue. Okay. Just another point about publishing, once again. Um, this is a book called Access EAP by um, Olin Alexander and Sue Argent up at Harriet Watt up in Scotland, in Edinburgh. And they're really trying to create resources here in a textbook format that will help EAP teachers to do their jobs. Because a lot of people that end up in EAP have come from the general ELT world. But when you are working with um, university students, it's a very different focus with language teaching. It's much more focused on the writing skill, the reading skill. Um, so there's... She's, Olga Alexander is the, um, the chair of Bali. Bali is, it used to be the British Association for Lecturers and EAP. Now it's just called Bali <laughs> um, because we don't want it to be known as just a British um, um, organisation. It's actually a charity. I belong to Bali. I'm on their web resources subcommittee. Um, so really we're trying to push out information how to teach EAP. And what she was telling me was um, her work with Garnet, they're, they're quite a big EAP publisher here in the UK, that they, you know, publishers are not so interested in teachers' books. Okay? They want the glossy student edition, it's all going to be colour, that's going to be the main focus. 
they're really not expecting you to sell many of the teachers' edition. So already we have quite a few issues with publishers not quite paying attention to what the teachers' needs are. And we do need to know how to do this work in more depth. And also, um, you know, using things like the AWL as, as the ultimate um, corpus resource. Um, so I'm just highlighting a few issues there that you might agree or disagree with. Okay, um, just an example. Focus on vocabulary, book by Diane and Norbert Schmidt. Uh, I mean, they're, they're leading names in the ELT world, um, especially in reference to vocabulary. Um, but once again, using Coxhead's AWL, and this is just one of hundreds of examples of textbooks that have come off the back of this word list, which now the research is showing is not that great. Okay, so there's a big gap, in my opinion, from what the research is telling us and what the publishers are doing. And teachers, because we're trained to consume textbooks through our training. Yeah, I did a Cambridge ESOL, Salter, Delta, I may as well have done a Melter, because when I did my Masters, it was the same stuff. Uh, so, and now I'm doing a Pelter, which, no, because I've, I've gone over to educational technology and I discovered the world of open educational resources. And I'm like, wouldn't it be great if we could just get teachers to go back to the original corpus resources to make their own materials? But we need to make corpus resources easier before that can happen. So that's part of what I'm working in. Okay, so linked data. Um, I don't know how many of you are familiar with this whole idea of the semantic web. Um, but the great thing about these corpus projects, these open projects that I mentioned before, is that they're able to link in data from other projects, from other resources. Um, so I'm going to show you projects that you know link in with Wikipedia, they link in with the SORI, um, online dictionaries, so the students and the teachers have got a much richer resource than the textbook. The textbook is fine, it gives you lots of suggestions, but it's limited to the size of that physical paper unit. And, and this is what we're up against with um, language, because language is huge, and you know our students want lots of examples um, of language in use. Okay, so this is the um, word and phrase um, interface. Now that's not coming up so great. So this one I was able to... So basically what they've done at Brigham Young, is that any better? Is that, can you make sight of that? Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so basically what... What Mark Davies and Lee Gardner did was um, they're, they're basing their academic vocabulary lists on the contemporary, sorry, the corpus of contemporary American English. And it's called COCA. I don't know if you're familiar with that corpus. And the great thing about COCA, which is also based at their university because Mark Davies built it, is that it's almost what we would call a dynamic corpus. So every year, he adds texts to it. So it keeps its currency. And this is quite a unique thing in, um, in the world of corpora, because quite often a corpus is stuck in time. Okay, I don't know if you're familiar with um, the British National Corpus. Okay, so it was built 
you know, sort of late 70s into the 90s. And it's, a, it's a brilliant piece of research, um, but it's stuck in time. It's still valuable, and there are ways that we can make it more valuable by linking it to more current resources, and I'll show you um, how one of the projects has done this. But the great thing about Coker and this project is that um, he is updating the texts. And there are 110 million words from an academic corpus in this coca alone, okay? And that is far more powerful than the corpus that Cox had based her academic word list on. Okay, it's more representative. There are nine um, genres for different academic um, areas. So, for example, it gives you sample um, texts. I've just put one in here from Law. This is just to show you how it, how it operates. But you can cut and paste your own text into this. All right? So your students can put their own writing in, and they can see you know, what percentage of the academic word list is coming up. Or they can put in texts that they're reading, and they can analyze the words that are useful. So I don't know if you can see this red part here. It says genre. And um, I've, I've put it onto law, and you'll see the words coming up in red are specific to that subject area. Okay, and then I'll click on them, and, and then just down here, you get a lot of information about collocation. Um, here you can see across the academic corpus that this is coming up very high in the law genre. Okay, but some of these words in this text belong to all of the academic genres. And those are the yellow words, okay? I know this is all a bit complex, um, but basically the yellow is the general academic word list and the red is for more specific. Blue and green are um, uh, more general language before we get to the academic word list levels. Okay, so also you'll see here we've got definitions coming from a place called WordNet. WordNet is this like super dictionary that's based at Princeton. So in, instead of sending your students to just a basic dictionary or maybe using that book Focus on the Academic Word List, Focus on Vocabulary, here you're going to get a lot more um, examples of how language is actually used across this massive corpus, as well as in this specific academic corpus, and it's also enabling students to put their own writing in there, as well as putting in reading texts. So that already, to me, is saying that this is a lot more flexible than what you could get from an academic vocabulary textbook. And it's not that hard for teachers to pull out examples and to give those, to make little, like, close activities. I mean, he hasn't got close activities on his website yet, but the Lex Tutor does, where you can input a text, choose a, um, an academic word list, and students create their own activities. Okay, so good for independent learning for your students, but they need a little bit of help from you. You just need to spend half an hour looking at it first and also good for teachers to use as a resource to develop materials from. Okay, so that's the idea there. I suppose if you wanted to ask me questions as we go through, because it is a little bit technical, anybody have any issues that are burning at the moment before I move on?
Yes, please. Uh, you, you mentioned genres, I mean, I call them disciplines. Yeah, they've labelled them as genre, but yeah. I, I would label them as discipline specific. Where, where, what are they? What genre are they? Where are they? What's called the text? Sounds like a source. Yeah. Yeah, uh, well, you can't see it from that side, but if you go into the COCA um, oh, corpus, yes. right. it will show you exactly what that text is um, and you know when it was published. Um, it's, all, it's all of COCA. Yeah. Right, so, right. yeah, I mean, that's the great thing about these research corporate. In the same way as the BNC, the British National Corpus, you have all that metadata telling you exactly where those texts come from. And, of course, COCA, like the BNC, has spoken as well as written and that's the brilliant thing you've got you know, you know who's speaking is it male or female their age if it's a written text you know where did this come from which academic um, uh, publication is this from there's also you know newspapers there television transcripts it's a, it's a very representative what we call a reference corpus um, so you can go in and find those can you limit yes. what you search for here to just the academic writing part? Yes, yes. So, so that, that's actually here. You're in the academic part now. Oh, right. Yeah, whereas you can be just in COCA as well. Right. So, um, but the only thing is, just because I've got limited time mm. with this presentation, I really, really need to just go and have a play. It's really not that yeah. difficult. Um, Lee Davies, uh, sorry, Mark Davis and Lee Gardner have yet to put out a paper about exactly how they made these lists, but they have got information on their website showing you how it's a better vocabulary list system than the academic word list. And most people in corpus linguistics would agree, it's just that teachers don't know that yet, and we're still using these quite outdated resources, in my opinion. Okay, um, so just moving. Uh, back to that. Okay. So. Okay, so really the idea here is I'm, I'm trying to say that a linked resource is a, a super resource. It's a strong link. Um, as opposed to maybe your students going through those few exercises in a vocabulary textbook and then thinking, oh, that was good, but they actually weren't relevant to my subject area, and what do I do now? Um, so, or, you know, they'll be just underlining words that come up in reading texts, but if they could put those texts into their own microcorpus and actually start to see which words are coming up um, frequently and usefully with the phrases around them, then they'd have a much better resource. And it doesn't take that much for teachers to know how to show their students how to do this. Okay, another project which I've been more closely involved with is the um, Flexible Language Acquisition Project, which is a completely open project. It's based on open source digital library software. And um, uh, but what you need to do is when you go into Google, you need to type in flax language. Otherwise, you'll just come up with the plant or <laughs> the flaxseed oil or, you know. <laughs> um, and because it's based in New Zealand, I mean, flax is a ubiquitous plant in New Zealand. And it's quite, quite important in Māori traditional culture for building a lot of resources. Like houses were made from flax, as well as a lot of utilitarian items. So that's why we chose flax. Um, and my project with SCORE is called Toy Toy, which is that long grass 
that's also on the, so and once again completely ubiquitous but I was just looking at you know what's what's a resource metaphor that I could be using to tie in with this project okay so here because they're in digital library software and because they're in the world of computer science they're, they're using the word library and collection rather than corpus okay but it's the same thing essentially now the thing about Flex is because it's open source software, it doesn't like Internet Explorer. Okay? So, so it's going to run really well on Firefox. It actually runs well on Google Chrome. Um, but Internet Explorer, it, it jams um, because Internet Explorer is not so friendly with allowing um, different commands to work. So unfortunately, I got Firefox on this machine, but I couldn't get it to hook up to the internet. So I can't do a live demo. But I'll show you some screenshots. And really, it would be great if you could check this out as well. So we've got a couple of um, got different collections in here. One is um, learning collocations. And the other one is, um, I think, which is really relevant to higher education, is the British Academic Written English Corpus. Have you heard of the British Academic Written English Corpus by Hilary Nessie and her team? I think she's now at Warwick. Um, great, that's right. Uh, we call it the BOR, which is a really awful acronym. Um, and then there's another one for spoken English, which is called BASE. <laughs> so anyway, um, the BOR is here. What we did is, um, because of the SCORE project, um, another one of our fellows, she's over at Oxford University Computing <coughs> Services, and she saw how Flex were linking to the BNC. And uh, she said, oh, that's great. You know, you know, make these research corpora more into open educational resources for language teaching. That, that's a really good idea. So we went back to them and we said, can we also have access to the BOR? Because we'd like to do some um, learning resources on top of the BOR as well. Okay. So here we are... Um, we're in the arts and humanities. There are four strands in the board. There's the arts and humanities, social sciences, life sciences, and physical sciences. And um, I'm sorry that I can't do a live demo, but you can browse the whole BOR corpus. And the way that Hilary Nessie and her colleagues assigned metadata, they actually looked at different genres of writing. So, for example, case study, empathy writing... Um, uh, literature review so they're all broken down like that and all of the texts that are in this corpus are student texts alright so they're from the UK there's about 3,000 texts in all and all of those texts were awarded a, a grade A or a grade B um, so we know that they have been reviewed by their instructors but it's really giving those language learners and those language teachers an insight into the types of assessment that are being required of students across all disciplines here in the UK at undergraduate and at taught postgraduate level. So that's what's in the Bohr corpus. And we just thought, okay, wouldn't it be great if we could put this into flax and parse these texts with different open software for um, part of speech analysis. So here we've got, along the top here we've got, you can click on these different um, tabs. So here I've clicked on nouns. So it's bringing up all the noun phrases in the text. 
And then um, if I click on one of those noun phrases, so style correspond with, I will click on it here, and then I can go to the union jack, which stands for the B and C. So I'm comparing the use of this um, noun phrase here in the bore with how it's used in the British National Corpus. And then here I've also got an icon for um, the web. And this is based on a Google-derived engram corpus. So what it's going to do is it's going to pull out samples of that noun phrase from the web as well as from the BNC. So the, the idea is that students can see how these same um, phrases are being used across different contexts. And, and this is that linking idea again, because we know um, this war corpus is written by students. It's not published okay, text, but we know in the BNC that we have some published texts once again, um, and we know Google obviously has a lot more data than any of those corpora, so it's going to give us sort of more up-to-date usage as well. Sorry I can't give you a live demo. Um, so that's just giving you an example, looking over at the BNC. Um, here, this is showing you the Wikify function. So that's actually going to highlight all of the topic areas in that text that come up on Wikipedia, because at the Flax um, project back in New Zealand, they have a Wikipedia search engine. So they've extracted all of the information around the um, hyperlink structure of Wikipedia. And, um, and because human beings have linked these topics together and said, you know, this is linked to this because it's relevant to this, it's using that crowdsourced linking system as a base to compare how we um, understand topics within a text. So it's a bit of a, a, bit of a, um, a wider understanding of collocation, because collocation would be those words that occur in relation to other words. Normally teachers think of that as the words right next to each other in phrases, but actually a wider understanding of collocation is the words that would come up in a whole text um, repeatedly or frequently um, on a particular topic. Is that okay? Are we, are we there? So, so I'm looking at... This is a Superman metaphor again. It's quite cheesy, I know. So we're looking at going beyond the textbook because the textbook, because it's a physical book and because publishers are trying to market to massive audiences rather than niche audiences, um, there are limitations. And because they haven't quite kept up with the research about different vocabulary lists for academic work... Um, so just, just trying to point out that we do need to think beyond the textbook, but that will require a lot of work with trying to make these corpus resources friendlier. So I think you'll notice that this is not the typical um, corpus concordance interface that you might have been expecting. You know, we just have the keyword that you're searching with all the words. A little bit more like what you saw with... Um, the Mark Davies one, where you see all those collocations, word strings. Um, so in Flex, they're really trying to simplify. Okay, How can we just present something that's useful, but not overwhelm the teachers or the students with complex search queries? Um, okay, so Bali, once again, we have this competency framework for EAP, but I personally feel that in order to 
achieve these competencies in teaching EAP, you have to know about how to develop resources. We're already doing it. Um, I mean, I worked with the people at Durham, great bunch of people for many years. But quite commonly, teachers will select a text from anywhere. Okay, take it from The Economist, take it from a, a journal um, publication, create wonderful pedagogy all around it, and then think, oh, if I want to share that with somebody, I've just breached copyright. Okay, I've just used third-party content in my resource. Um, so really, my project is about showing people where they can find open content. So at the moment, with Flax, I'm building an open access academic corpus so the idea is that you can, you can analyse the text, as we've seen here with um, Flax and the boar, but you can also take that text and hack it up and use it as you will in your classes. And then you can share it with your colleagues across something like Loro, because we really need to get our teachers into Loro and Language Box and the Hum Box. There are a few people doing it, but it's just not mainstream practice. Um, so that's, that's the idea. And also I'm working... Um, with Russell Stannard, I don't know if you're familiar with this guy, he's great, um, teacher training videos, but he really speaks mainly to the ELT world, and I think that's great, but I think also we can push you know, EAP through his channel, and also we can push corpus resources through that channel as well, because wherever there, there are people teaching languages, there is a need. And the great thing about Flex is that it's multilingual um, software, so there's no reason why you can't get an n-gram corpus from Google in Spanish, a Wikipedia corpus in Spanish, and link that back to a reference corpus in Spanish, which is somebody like, you know, Anna, who has the time to do that. <laughs> so, but, you know, we, really the potential is there. Like, the technology now is great. Like, we have open technologies to enable us to do these things. Um, just maybe with a bit of funding, that might help. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, there's all these four opportunities out there but it's just a matter of trying to push them out in a way that people are actually going to find them. Uh, that's why people like Russell Stannard are good because he's already an open channel that people know about. Um, I'm going to a conference tomorrow which is um, teaching and language corpora um, over in Warsaw and I don't know if you're familiar with Chris Tribble at King's but his, he's had ongoing research you know he released another survey and a series of surveys just two weeks ago. We have these great resources. People in the field of corpus linguistics, you know, Douglas Biber, Hilary Nessie, um, Susan Hunston, you know, they're all saying, we're there. But we know in reality as practitioners that we're not. Because the way English teachers or language teachers in general are being trained is just teach from the textbook, be a consumer, don't be a creator. And that's really what my project's trying to raise awareness around and hopefully push back at with something fabulous like the Flax project. And I think Mark Davies' project is brilliant too. And this, you know, Ankhont, this guy, wonderful um, concordance and software for free. It's as good, in my opinion, as the Wordsmith tools. And you can help your students build their own microcorpus there. And um, Let's Tutor, you know, Tom Cobb, has been going for um, 20 years or more, constantly building new. Um, new resources and you know Tom Cobb has a Facebook group Lawrence Anthony from Anconk has a Google Groups group Google Groups group I guess <laughs> <laughs> um, so that I mean people are using 
social media to get their message out. So we'll, we'll see what happens. But that's basically the essence of my project and my talk. So thank you for your kind attention. Thank you.